Today's episode of Beyond the Mask is presented by the insurance specialists at BrightThink Wealth Strategies. Find the disability insurance coverage that fits you best right now. Email Robert Smith at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. The show is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Get a free consultation today to be guided through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Just visit crnafinancialplanning.com. And don't forget, listening to our podcast can earn you Class B credits. For more information on how you can submit them, check out the CE Credit tab on our website, beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass Clinical Edition. I'm Jeremy Heiner, and I am riding solo today. My colleague and friend, Sass Elisha, is on a much-deserved vacation, but not to worry, he'll be back for the next episode. So in today's episode, I'm going to go over something we deal with pretty much on a daily basis, acute stress. So today, I plan to go over the anatomy and physiology of stress, break this down, and then provide you with some simple strategies to help you combat acute stress when it occurs. Now, I know your time is important, so let's get right to it. It's go time. We know CRNAs are busy with limited time. That's why we want to bring you clinical updates and reviews that are pertinent to your anesthesia practice. This is Beyond the Mask with Jeremy and Sass, Clinical Edition. Together, Jeremy and Sass have a combined 40 years of teaching anesthesia students and CRNAs. They speak nationally and at state associations and also continue to practice anesthesia in the operating room. Jeremy and Sass author and edit several anesthesia textbooks, including Nurse Anesthesia, the core anesthesia textbook used in the CRNA profession. Now, being anesthesia providers, we likely experience stress on a daily basis. And I'm sure students can relate for sure. And there are many different ways that we can experience stress. It could be stress from home. Maybe my kid has pink eye and I have to stay home all day and try to get work done. It could be stress by the people we work with in the OR. Ever work with a difficult surgeon? Or it could be stress caused by a critical patient that we are caring for. Now think about it. What are the things that you do to prepare going into a crisis? Or what about the times where a seriously stressful situation develops and there isn't any time to prepare? What do you think about in these situations? Do you ever experience anxiety, apprehension, doubt, dread, or outright fear? Because guess what? If you do, You are not alone, and it's normal. I read something sometime that I've never forgotten, and it's from from Viktor Frankl. He said that between stimulus and response, there is space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. And as I've thought about this quote, I've come to realize that Frankl was talking about our ability to choose how we react to what we encounter in life and the experiences we go through. And what if we could choose how our physiology responds to these encounters and situations? And by choosing how we react, 
we can perform and thrive at a higher level. That would be amazing. All right, now let's start out with the anatomy of stress. So the, the neuroanatomy, the, the mechanisms, the neuropathways, the neurotransmitters, all the hormones that are involved in a stress response, they are, they're incredibly complex and intertwined. And you guys will be asleep within, within two minutes of me attempting to, to outline and discuss all of that. So let's simplify it. The stress response begins in the brain. So when someone confronts danger or they confront a threat, such as an oncoming car, the eyes and the ears, they send messages both unconsciously, which is fast, and consciously, which is a little slower throughout the brain. The unconscious pathway is through the limbic system. And the conscious pathway, the way we make sense of stress, is through the cortex, primarily the prefrontal cortex. So a car is coming, we automatically jump out of the way. That's the limbic system, which is triggering an automatic response. And then, then after we've moved out of the way, we think, oh man, I just barely missed being hit by a car. And our heart rate's pumping really fast. And then we have a little bit more time to kind of think about it and think, okay, well, maybe I should look before I step out into the street. The primary structures within the limbic system that sound the alarm for the stress response, they're the amygdala, the hippocampus, and the thalamus and hypothalamus. Now, the amygdala, that is the primary. That's right in the center of the limbic system there, and it is the cowbell of the whole limbic system. It rapidly interprets the images and sounds within the environment. There is a direct link from the eyes and from the ears right into the uh, the amygdala, and when it perceives a threat or danger, it instantly sends a distress signal to the thalamus and hypothalamus. So now the thalamus is going to receive these signals, these uh, cowbell alarms from the amygdala. The thalamus is then going to redirect these signals to the hypothalamus, which is involved in the orchestration of the release of epinephrine and norepinephrine from the adrenal glands, and then later stress hormones such as cortisol. And this is the natural response to danger. It's the fight or flight response. And what's going to happen is our pulse rate is, and blood pressure, they're going to go up. We're going to have an increase in our, in our respiratory rates. This will allow extra oxygen to be sent to the brain, which will increase alertness. Our sight, our hearing, and our other senses, they'll become sharper. These changes, they happen so quickly that we're not even aware of them. And that's why we're able to jump out of the path of that oncoming car, even before we think about what we're doing. Now, another major part of the limbic system that's involved in a stress response is the hippocampus. This is the center that regulates memory and emotions. And it's important because memories can influence how we feel and react. If we have a a specific fear related to a specific emotion or situation, that will influence how we respond in that situation in the future. So let's say, for example... I'm eating an, an oatmeal raisin cookie and I get a phone call and I find out that, that my dad has passed away. If I eat an oatmeal raisin cookie in the future, it could drag up all those memories of sadness and despair and hopelessness. And dang, just by eating an oatmeal raisin cookie. Furthermore, the, the hippocampus is crucial for forming new memories related to emotion. Now, 
What the limbic system does not allow for is rational thought. This is the job of the prefrontal cortex, which it, it helps us, the prefrontal cortex or PFC, helps us consciously understand situations we are in and the emotions that we feel. Think of it as this is Spock from Star Trek. It's logical. It's the most recently evolved part of the brain region, and its primary roles are analysis of complex stimuli and control of our emotional responses. Now, this area, it, it has a weaker initial response. What's going to happen immediately is the cowbell response from the limbic system. Remember, it's emotional, and it's our sympathetic nervous system response firing up. But when the PFC is in control, it can modulate emotions and make sense of the stimulus that's coming in. So think about hiking in bear country and hearing some rustling in the bushes. Is it a cocaine bear or is it a raccoon? When you initially hear that, your heart rate will jump up. Maybe your breathing will start going a little faster. And then once your PFC kicks in, your prefrontal cortex, and you have some rational thought, you can assess the situation and you can make a more executive decision as to whether to run or realize that it's just a trash panda. So this is the space that Frankel was talking about between these two systems, between the limbic system and between the prefrontal cortex. And that's the space that we can learn how to develop and maybe fire up that prefrontal cortex a little bit quicker in order to make sense and choose how to react to acutely stressful situations. As a CRNA, you spend years preparing yourself for this career, so we don't want to see you lose out on any of the income you've worked so hard to earn. The best way to protect yourself and give you the confidence that a major life event won't disrupt your financial future is through disability insurance. We've known disability income specialist Robert Smith for many years and have seen the work he's done with nearly 2,000 CRNAs over multiple decades. He can help identify any gaps in your existing coverage and fill those gaps by finding the best value on a policy. Contact Robert and let him know you heard about him on our podcast. Send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com. Or call him at 504-394-6557. Protect your greatest asset as a CRNA, yourself and your ability to earn a living by adding disability insurance to your financial plan. All right, so that's a crash course on the anatomy and some of the physiology of the stress response. Let's switch gears a little bit and briefly talk about a theory of the psychology and physiology of stress. And I, I read a book a little while ago, and it was pretty interesting. It was by a psychologist named David Grossman. He's a professor of psychology at West Point. He's written several books on the physiology and psychology of how soldiers and law enforcement officers react during acutely stressful situations, such as war and other crises. And he developed a graph to show this psychological and physiologic response. And what this graph shows is how the neurotransmitters and hormones that are released into the bloodstream impact an individual's heart rate. So the heart rate on the graph is essentially meant to represent a person's level of stress. The higher the heart rate goes, 
the more stress an individual is experiencing. Now, on the other part of the graph is how the heart rate and level of stress affects an individual's cognition and performance. So to put it together, on one side of the graph, let's say, let's call it the x-axis, is the heart rate, and as the heart rate goes higher, it influences the y part of the graph and an individual's response. So as a heart rate increases from severe acute stress, for example, it would influence an individual's motor response, how they perform a task, their ability to solve problems, and their ability to make decisions. So let's start with the lower heart rate. As the heart rate begins to increase, initially you might see some hand tremors. But as the heart rate starts to go up higher and higher, the brain will automatically start to tune things out, tune senses out. And it'll just focus on one sense in order to avoid a sensory overload and confusion. So we may see tunnel vision in an individual with a, a very in a very acute stressful response where they have auditory exclusion. The ears have shut off and, and they're just focusing on one thing. There could be somebody shouting right next to them, but they won't hear it. And their ability to solve problems and to think rationally is kind of going out the door at this point. If the stress gets too high, it can actually be very debilitating and result in a red alert, such as bowel and bladder issues. And we'll provide links to this chart and to David Grossman's work in, in the show notes. Now, a certain amount of stress can be beneficial. There are, there's, there's actually a sweet spot of stress, which can, which can enhance performance. And, and that's just amazing. So we, we actually do need a little bit of stress as, as a motivator. Some of the advantages of the right amount of stress would be this increased motivation and energy, faster reaction times, clearness in thinking, and even improved memory. Now, this sweet spot, it's going to vary between everyone. It, and this depends on an individual's training, their, their experience, the amount of experiences that they've had, and their own ability to deal with stress. So how can we improve our own individual ability to deal with stress? Well, the good news is our brains are neuroplastic. And, and what this means is that we can train them. We can train our brains to adapt to stress. And we can train ourselves to arrive in that sweet spot of optimal performance. And I just think that this is so cool that we have the ability to train our brains. Today's show is brought to you by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, SAS and I have developed a simple acronym to help you with some strategies to train your brain. And we call it BVM. 
And these are short-term strategies that we can use in moments of acute stress when we're feeling really stressed out. So, you got stress? BVM it. And let's start with the B. There are two things that the B stands for. And the first one is body position. Social psychologists, they've supported this idea of positioning the body as a way to strengthen our sense of confidence and behavior. So we, we know that our nonverbal cues govern how others think and feel about us, but do our nonverbals govern how we think and feel about ourselves? Can the way our body is positioned change our minds or influence how we think? There's some evidence that it does. We do know that when we're forced to smile, it can change our mood. There's some evidence out there that power positions can lead to hormonal changes that influence our brains to be more assertive, more confident, passionate, enthusiastic, more comfortable, and even improve our focus. So what are these power positions? Well, it's, it's standing straight up. It's opening up. Hands on the hips or outstretched. Our back and our neck are straight. Our chest is out and we're engaged in our surroundings. We're looking forward. Think about Wonder Woman or Captain America and how they're standing in those power positions. They're ready to go. Or maybe for those of you who enjoy a mojito, think about Captain Morgan. Now, these, these poses, they can, be done, they can be done in the bathroom before a stressful event or even on the way to an emergency in the hospital. Walk upright, square your shoulders, have your arms down at your sides, looking forward. Put yourself in that power position. The next B, so we have the first B, body position. The next B is, this stands for breathing or performance enhanced control breathing. What I find fascinating is, is the breathing. This is the only autonomic response that we can control cognitively, consciously, and that we can modify ourselves just by thinking about it. There is a close relationship between respiration and emotional state. There's evidence that controlled breathing can help regulate emotions. It's all about slow, deep, controlled respirations. This kind of practice, this kind of breathing, it can help reduce heart rates, it can refocus our thoughts, releases energy outwards, and helps us ground ourselves prior to performing a task. In contrast, rapid shallow breaths, these activate the sympathetic nervous system and they decrease the oxygen needed to think clearly because it's being used by the heart to pump, to pump so fast. Different breathing techniques, they've, they've been used and developed over thousands of years to improve performance in various martial arts, in meditative practices, and yoga, for those of you who participate in those, in those activities. And these breathing techniques, they are an important tool used by psychologists to help elite athletes improve their performance and increase their sense of stability or centeredness to help them relax and focus so that they can perform at their best. So to recap, breathing or controlled breathing 
to enhance performance is something we can consciously do to regulate our, our sympathetic nervous system. So here's how to breathe at your best. When you inhale, you got to drop it down into the belly. Think about blowing up a balloon in your abdomen. You get the majority of air in the more dependent lower regions of your lungs, and this is because of the diaphragm. There are many different breathing techniques out there. One that I like is one that the Navy SEALs use called square breathing or box breathing. So think of a square, and we have an, in, an inhalation, a pause, an exhalation, and a pause. Breathe in deeply for four to six seconds in that first inhalation. Engage your diaphragm and attempt to pull that breath down into your belly, into your abdomen. Next, hold the breath for four to six seconds. Then, exhale slowly over the course of four to six seconds. And finally, hold out for four to six seconds before you take your next inhale. Now, you do this for eight to ten breaths, and I promise you'll start to feel more centered think more clearly, and that stress will start to melt away. And you can focus on what you need to do. So that's B, body position and breathing. Hey, Sharon, we've got some exciting news to share with people today, don't we? Yes, we do. And why don't you let the cat out of the bag, Jeremy? <laughs> wow, I don't usually put cats in bags. Is that kind of a deep-seated <laughs> thing with you or what, you know? Uh, well, you know, some of our listeners know we've been doing live podcasts around the country at different state association meetings, A&A events, and so forth. And May 4th through the 7th, we're actually going to be at the Pennsylvania State Meeting. Sharon, you've been there a lot and spoken a lot there. Um, at the Hotel Hershey. Um, yes. Yeah, and I've never been to the Hotel Hershey. So I'm kind oh of my gosh, you are that. in for a treat. When you check in, they ask you milk or dark because you get chocolate when you check in. Mm, wow. It's it's really cool. So, listeners, if you want to go to a great meeting, Pennsylvania puts on a great meeting. We'll be doing the live podcast taping there and. They're going to be having a party there, too. And guess who the DJ is? Uh, let me think. Does his last name end with Pierce? Yes, it does. DJ so Pierce come will and be join us. <laughs> Can't leave the house without him anymore, you know? That's right. So join us in, in Pennsylvania at the Hotel Hershey, May 4th through the 7th, and come to a great meeting. Next in BVM, we have V. And this stands for visualization or visualize success. And we can do this using something called mental rehearsal or mental simulation. Think about walking through the steps of a procedure or a skill or something that you need to do in your mind before you actually perform it. And the key here is when you're doing this mental rehearsal, you got to break it down into micro steps, literally visualizing and thinking about each little detail. So, for example, think about performing a cricothyrotomy on your drive into work. And as you're driving and, and doing this mental rehearsal of this cricothyrotomy procedure, go over and visualize every little detail from start to finish. 
Visualize where you'll stand. Which hand will palpate the neck and the cricothyroid membrane? How you'll hold the needle or the knife that you're going to use to puncture this, this, this membrane. And, and then think about each step and the equip, pieces of equipment you'll use in order to perform and complete this, this procedure. Professional athletes and high performance, high performers, they use mental rehearsal to visualize success all the time. I've heard about Michael Phelps, the Olympic champion uh, swimmer, used mental rehearsal to help him become such a, a, a phenomenal performer. He would imagine himself jumping off the block, hitting the water in slow motion, swimming flawlessly. He would visualize his strokes, the wall that he would touch as, he, as he'd do his turns. And at the finish, he would imagine the wake behind his body, the water dripping off of his nose, his lips, and his head. And as his mouth cleared the surface, he would visualize what it would feel like to rip off his cap at the end. So it really gets down into the micro steps and thinking through each step very, very deliberately. And researchers, they've discovered that using mental rehearsal actually promotes increased neurologic plasticity. So it will activate the same neurologic network needed to actually perform a task. So think about it kind of laying the groundwork of the actual performance when we perform this mental rehearsal. And MRI studies back up this belief. What they've shown is that the same neural pathways are recruited and the same neural chemicals are secreted when we visualize doing something and then later actually engage in the activity. So really cool stuff. So now we have the B, we have the V, let's move on to the M. The M stands for motivate. We do this by performing positive self-talk. The way in which we engage ourselves, our internal dialogue during an emergency, during stress, it's very important. It, it plays a vital role in how we react to these stressful situations. Some psychologists have referred to it as the key to cognitive control, this positive self-talk during high-stress situations. Without a doubt, stressful stimuli can initiate negative thoughts and feelings. And an important part of dealing with stress is, and we really got to think about this, to avoid negative self-talk. I was reading somewhere a little while back that the brain produces 50,000 thoughts per day. Only 10,000 of those are positive. So that means 80% of what we think could be negative thoughts. So there's definitely room for, for some more positivity here. And there are five suggested guidelines when talking about positive self-talk during stressful situations. Number one, keep the phrases short and specific. Two, use the first person and present tense. Three, speak kindly. Speak kindly to yourself and again, avoid the negative. Four, when you recite a phrase to yourself, say it with intention and then repeat it. This is number five, repeat it often. So here's some examples. Say something like, this person needs my help. I've trained for this. I will get this done successfully. And repeat it over and over again. I know I can do this. I have done it before. Here we have phrases that are short and specific. 
using the first person, speaking kindly, reciting it with intention, and repeating it often. And there is one more part to the M in terms of motivate. And this is to develop a mantra for yourself. Develop a word or phrase that you can recite that is basically your call to action. Something that resonates with you. This is your go word or phrase that helps you transition from stress preparation to performance. Essentially, it acts as a cognitive signal flare which prompts you into action. And it should be motivational and provide a conscious reminder to focus or concentrate. My mantra, it's go time. You've probably heard it before. So when I say to myself, it's go time, it's time for action. It's time to focus. It's time to perform. So here we go. BVM summary. Acute stress, no problem. BVM it. Think body. Take several deep breaths. Put yourself in a powerful body position. Visualize yourself successfully executing whatever task you're engaged in. Motivate yourself by performing positive self-talk and repeating your mantra for success and for performance. The next time you're in a stressful situation, whatever it is, BVM it. Okay, everyone, thank you for hanging out with me during this episode. I had a great time talking to you about acute stress and how to manage that with BVM. If you like what you've heard and you want to help us grow, please consider leaving a, a nice review and sharing it with your anesthesia friends. Word of mouth is the primary way that this podcast grows. So there you go. That is it for this episode. Remember, keep ventilating and we'll catch you on the next episode. Have you thought about what would happen if you weren't able to work for two or three years? You know, on average, 25% of people will file a disability claim, and most of us aren't prepared for that loss of income. Every CRNA needs to protect their biggest asset, yourself and your ability to earn with a disability insurance policy. We recommend contacting Robert Smith, a master disability insurance specialist with more than 30 years of experience and 1,800 CRNA clients to find the coverage that fits you best. The best way to do that is to send him an email at rsmithjr at financialguide.com. That's rsmithjr at financialguide.com or call him at 504-394-6557. Beyond the Mask is made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. With almost two decades of experience, the firm guides CRNAs through the complexities of investing and financial planning. Schedule a free consultation today by calling 855-304-3748 or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support.
Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry, or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Jeremy and Sass expressly disclaim any liability in connection with the use of this presentation or its contents by any third party.